Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Citizens of Northwest Gospel Church. How are you guys doing? You doing? You doing? You do, hey, here's how it goes every Wednesday. You ready? You guys in the back, like, I can basically, I know your soul based on where you sit. All right? Here's how it works. Like, if you're sitting in the back, you're like, hey, what's up, man? I see you. I see you. Welcome, right? If you're sitting in the middle, you're like, you're cool, I'm cool, but let's see where this thing goes, right? If you're sitting front two rows, you're talking to me nonstop, right? Like, even when I'm not talking to you, you know, that's front two rows, welcome, glad you're here. Like, I'm talking to everybody right now, and they're like, hey, I'm here, I'm here, hi, talk to me, I'm here, I'm preaching, <laughs> all right? So now that we got that out of the way, how you guys doing? Good, good, hey. Um, movie lovers, where are you? Movie lovers, okay, okay. Imagine you're watching a movie, epic movie, crazy twist, you probably cry a couple times, poop your pants at least once, you get to the end of the movie, you get to the end of the movie, there's the last scene, man is reaching up, the final dying words is like, tell my mother, I love her, screen goes black, you're like, holy cow, that was intense, and then you see the words, based on a true story. Oh, oh, snap, right? You know what I'm talking about? You watch a movie and you're like, dude, this is intense. You find out it's on a true story and you're just like, I'm dead. That was a true story. I'm not gonna drop a plot twist on you at the end of the sermon. I wanna tell you right off the jump, what I'm about to tell you is a true story. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, friend, this is a true story. No, 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 no. Look at them in their eyeballs, all right? Look at them in the window of their souls and say, friend, this is a true story. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago in a continent far, far away. Hey, did I mention this is a true story? You know that, right? Okay, cool. She told you? Your friend told you? So it was, it was a long time ago on a continent far, far away, and there was a man. Hey, what's up, bro? What's your name? I'm Brayden. Brayden, I'm Sam. What's up, dude? Let's connect afterwards. I like you. Um, so, dude, continent far, far away. There was a dude, not Brayden. There was a different dude. His name was, his name was Philemon. Homeboy Philemon. He's Greek, right? You could tell by his robes. How many of you are like, dude, I just bought that outfit yesterday, right? <laughs> it's like... Dude, what if, like, Nike sold stuff like that? Wouldn't that be epic? Going to school every day like a Roman emperor? <laughs> Teacher, how art thou? Right? And you're like, dude, it's not King James, it's Roman. Anyway, so this guy was rich. He was a baller, okay? You could tell by his robes. He was a baller. He had the money, which means he had a big estate, okay? Philemon was a man who owned a lot of property. There's probably multiple houses on his estate. He had that land. He had that cash money. He also had servants. He had slaves. He was a slave owner, okay? And we're going to get more into slavery next week. So if you came tonight saying, I hope he talks about slavery, you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, but come back next week, okay? 
Different, just different type of slavery. We'll get there. But he was a slave owner, right? So he had many different slaves in his employ, lots of land, big house, right? This dude goes to, goes to Ephesus one day, and if he's on, you know, maybe he's a high roller. Who knows why he's in Ephesus, right? Maybe he just want to see the world. And he goes to Ephesus, and he meets a man named Paul, all right? And so Philemon, the big roller, he hears this gospel message. He hears the story about how God was willing to reconcile, bring people into his family. And Philemon is like, what? I'm in. Boom. Philemon becomes a Christian. He gets baptized. He goes back home to Colossae, which is in, uh, you know, Greek province, goes back home and he's telling everybody about Jesus, telling everybody about the gospel. Before you know it, he's got a whole squad of Christians up in his house. Dude, is the real deal. He actually starts leading a church in his house. So wealthy Greek Christian Philemon is a church leader. Lots of people in his house, including a very particular slave. And his name was Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. You looking Onesimus right now, right? I'm, yeah, so anyway, Onesimus, right? It just looks like, oh, you look nice. Onis, never mind. Onesimus is a slave. He's not the kind of servant, like if we were to do like an all-star servant draft, he's probably not going first round. He's probably going undrafted, to be honest, because it's kind of ironic. The, the name Onesimus, how many of you know what your name means? You know what your name means? Do you know for sure? Is it just because your mommy said so? How many of you are like, I Googled my name? Like, my mom said my name meant beautiful. It means warrior of India. What happened, right? It's like random names. I'm like, she didn't look it up. Promise you. So his name, if you were to look up in the baby book, Onesimus literally means useful. It's kind of tight, right? You're useful. You're useful. Onesimus was not useful. Hey, this is a true story. I told you that, right? True story. Onesimus was the kind of servant that he would do just enough to get by. And then as soon as somebody wasn't looking, he's chilling, right? He's sitting down, taking breaks, sleeping on the job. This was a useless, lazy servant. And it gets worse. Because lazy Onesimus, his laziness eventually evolved into theft. I told you this is a true story, right, Ethan? True story. And he says, you know what? I don't, Philemon's got enough money. Philemon, he like, I mean... He's not going to miss it anyway. And so he decides to rob his master. I told you it's a true story, right, Ty? He robs his master. And then he pieces out. He goes AWOL. It's a true story, all right? And so, like, I don't even know how he did it. Like, I, I, I try to imagine things. Like, maybe he was all like, -na -na, like in the, in the middle of the night, he's like putting on his bags and he's just like Mission Impossible and like over the wall and like running for it. Maybe, maybe he was like, hey boss, I'll go run an errand for you into town. Oh yeah, you want me to go to town? What do you want? Peanut butter? I got the peanut, anything else? Yeah, give me the credit card. I'll be right back. Never comes back. He goes AWOL, robs his master, runs away, and he heads to Rome, the big city that doesn't sleep, all right? He thought it was New York. No, it's Rome. It's Rome. And so now here's Onesimus, and he just committed, you have to understand this, he just committed two capital crimes. 
all right? Capital crime, meaning this is not just a crime against an individual, this is a crime against the very state. This is a crime that the entire nation sees as such a threat that is going to punish and make an example of. And so you know what they did to runaway slaves? You know what they did if they were to catch a runaway slave? Anybody want to volunteer and be my runaway slave? Come on, Austin. Come on, Austin. Who else? Anna, you want to be a runaway slave? Come on. I'm an equal opportunity slave owner, right? And so what they would do is, if they, were to, if they were to catch a slave, if they were to catch a slave, this is the best case scenario, okay? Best case scenario, they would brand them. F for fugitives. You, don't, you can run, run away now as a slave. You can run away if you want, if you don't want it. F, fugitivist, right? Meaning, he's a runaway. Sometimes, you sure? I got one more runaway slave in me. You might as well. Come on, Anna. Come on, runaway slave. Make it pretty. I got you. I'll put a smiley like Rosa. Sometimes they'd brand, they'd brand you with this. CF. Cave ferum. Which means beware of thief. So they would brand you. It's solid, dude. So they'd brand you as a runaway. They'd, bla- they'd brand you as a thief if you're lucky. Sit down, guys. Enjoy the brand. Sit down. They'd brand you if you're lucky. And if you're not lucky, if you go back and your boss is like, I'm done with this, they'll execute you. You're dead. I was reading about you know, slavery and I read a story of where one, one slave murdered his master. There was 400 slaves on that estate. One slave murdered his master. The state saw that as such a threat, they slaughtered all 400 slaves. Onesimus is in trouble. <laughs> Onesimus, yo, he's in trouble. What they would do was in Rome, they'd send bounty hunters. They would legitimately, there was people who made their career. I picture like Django Fett, you know what I mean? But obviously it's out of time, right? That's anachronistic. And so they'd send these bounty hunters who had a description and permission. And so they were like, I'm looking for Onesimus. He's about 5'5", black hair, missing like two front teeth. And if I find him, I have permission to do whatever it takes to bring this dude back to Colossae. This is a true story. This is a true story. And so Onesimus, you know, for a moment, he gets over the he gets on the wall, he gets over the wall, he buys a one-way ticket on the boat, he's headed to Rome, and he's like, I'm free. And then it dawns on him. I'm gonna be running for the rest of my life. I'm gonna be a runaway for the rest of my life. And so you can imagine the fear that, let, is in, that accompanies your life, right? He probably only goes out at night, probably wearing a disguise most of the time, right? Probably changes his name to Caninimus, so that way nobody knows it's Onesimus, you know? He's living on the run. He's living on the run. And one day, this is, a, <laughs> this is a true story, I promise you, I can't make this up. One day, while he's living in Rome, you're never gonna guess who he runs into. No, don't guess, front two rows, don't guess. We talked about this front two rows. <laughs> nope. You're never going to guess who he runs into. Homeboy is on the run, changing his name, disguised, hiding from his master in Colossae. Anna, do you see that case? Where is it? Who can reach it? Is it like far? Is it really far? Can I call a timeout? Thank you. You're never going to guess who he runs into. Are you ready for this? I promise you, this is a true story. You ready? He runs into Paul. The same Paul who was homeboys with Philemon. The same Paul who led his master, who he just robbed for everything he had, who led his master to Jesus. 
The same Paul that every Sunday, as Philemon is leading his house church, no questions, as he's leading his house church, is talking about Paul. Paul said, Paul said, Paul taught me. Hi, I'm Paul. And he runs into Paul. Onesimus is in trouble. It just so happens. Everybody say, just so happens. It just so happens that Paul is in Rome. You know what he's doing in Rome? He's in prison for preaching the gospel. The very thing that led Philemon to Jesus, the runaway master, he got enslaved for that. It just so happens that when he ran into Paul, Paul was writing a couple of letters. It, this is a true story. It just so happens that he was writing the letters to all of the Christians in Colossae. And so Paul sees Onesimus the slave and he goes, oh, you're Philemon. Oh, it just so happened. You know what? Hold my scroll. He takes out a new piece of paper and he starts writing a new letter, a private letter to none other than Philemon. And what he does is he gives the scrolls to homeboy Tychicus. It's like, how many of you ever got sent home with a letter in elementary school? Did any of you ever get a staple to your shirt or was that just me? <laughs> they don't do that anymore? No. My mom, dude, that's because you guys are so spoiled. They used to send me home with letters <laughs> and they would magically disappear between, you know, my hand and the garbage can. And so my teacher, she took the letter and stapled it to my shirt. And she said, go home. Paul doesn't do this. You think I'm making it up, but Christine knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> she knows. Paul says, you know, I was just, it just so happens I was sending these letters to your master. What are the chances? Tell you what, I'm going to write him a new letter here. Takes out a pen. Opens up a letter. Starts writing it. Dear Philemon. Funny story. Right? Writes that letter. Gives it to Onesimus and Tychicus and sends him back to his master. It's a true story, Micah. Micah's crying. It's like it's emotional here. It's powerful. Sends him back to his master. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that you're at church that day when the doorbell rings. <laughs> Ding dong, right? Philemon's like brushing his teeth, getting ready for it to preach, you know. He's like, who is it? And he opens the door, right? He's like, ha, 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 He opens the door and there's Tychicus standing with Onesimus. What's his blood pressure at that moment, right? Dude who had to file the police report that he was robbed. Dude that had to report his slave missing, run away. The dude that had to hire bounty hunters. Oh, right in front of him is Onesimus. His heart is racing. You know, you ever have to have a hard conversation with your girlfriend? You're like, I just have to confront her right now because like, she doesn't understand that when she said that, it really hurt my feelings, you know, like, and your palms get all sweaty and you get nervous. Imagine how he's feeling right there. The guys are like, I never had that conversation. I hope not. Imagine when he's feeling the door opens and he sees him and before he can reach out his hand and grab him by the throat, before he can go back inside and get his shotgun, before he can just pummel the guy, Onesimus goes, here. From Paul. It's a true story. And Philemon 
trembling, opens the scroll, and he reads the following. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and from Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the whole church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For my brother, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Pause the letter there. Pause the letter there. This is a true story. What do you think Philemon's feeling as he reads that letter? What is he feeling as he reads those first few verses, right? Paul writes to him here. He says, hey, I have something crazy to tell you. (laughs) Philemon, you're never going to guess who I found in Rome. But first things first. He writes this letter to Philemon and he says, hey, bro, like (laughs) we have a lot of issues to talk about here, right? Like this is a crazy story. Philemon, you have a lot of major decisions that you are about to have to make, right? You have a lot of actions that you're going to have to do. You're probably standing there right now with your blood pressure up to here, angry as all get out, looking at Onesimus, that lazy servant. You have a lot on your plate. But first things first. Before we talk about Onesimus, before we talk about these heavy difficult, complicated situations, first things first. Philemon, I want to tell you that I see God at work in your life. First things first, I want you to know that I see evidence of gospel transformation in your life. First things first, friends. We're about to read a crazy letter. You're about to find out what happens to Onesimus Spoiler alert, no bounty hunters were hurt in the filming of this sermon series. But first things first, he says, before we get there, I want to talk about all of the evidence of gospel transformation that I've seen in your life. And so let's take a look at the letter. Are you guys ready? Are you, like, if you're with me, say, yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is a true story. I told you that, right, Layla? Here we go. Look at the letter again, okay? Let's take a look. He says, Paul, a prisoner, everybody say prisoner, for Christ Jesus. This is the only letter in the entire New Testament that Paul calls himself and addresses himself as a prisoner. Paul's in jail, friends. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, which tells me that Christianity is not just something that he does on the weekends, right? Christianity is not just a hobby of his, or it's not just something he does for like extra credit at school. He's a prisoner for the sake of Christ, He's willing to go to jail for the gospel because the gospel has transformed his life. The thing that is most real about Paul is the fact that he follows Christ. This is the most real thing about him. And so, even in this letter, he can't go more than like two breaths. Check this out. 
he can't even get more than like two or three sentences in without talking to his friends about the gospel. He says here, I'm greeting you with grace. Grace means undeserved kindness, right? That's what I've experienced in the gospel. I'm greeting you with peace. I'm now at peace with God. I'm in his family. I've been transformed by the gospel of grace and peace. I'm no longer enemies with God. His identity has been changed. And so as he writes to Philemon, check this out. Paul's identity has been changed. And when he writes to Philemon, he's saying this. Philemon, first things first. Philemon, I see evidence of, God, of this kind of gospel transformation in your life. I see evidence that the gospel has changed your identity. I see evidence in your life, Philemon, that the gospel is the most real thing about you. And so when he greets him, he doesn't call him Dr. Philemon. Notice this, guys, this is the Bible. When he writes to Philemon, he doesn't say, Master Philemon. He doesn't say Philemon, the rich guy. Philemon, the landowner. Philemon, the... He doesn't name him and identify him as those things. He, look how he refers to them. Philemon, our beloved fellow brother. The thing that is most real, or worker, the thing that is most real about him is that he's in the family of God. He greets his wife. Abphia, our sister. That's what's most real about her. Archippus, our fellow soldier. I'm in prison. You're working alongside of me. The gospel has transformed the way that we even view and identify ourselves. Citizens, youth. Has the gospel transformed your identity? What's your identity? Do you look at yourself primarily as the, the softball player who goes to church? Are you Hannah, the runner? Dude, that was a great story today. Thanks for sharing that, right? Are you Hannah, the runner, who just so happens to go to church? Are you the rugby player who just so happens to go to church? Are you the choir boy? Are you the, the band kid? What, is that who you are and you just so happen to go to church? Or are you a Christian and you just so happen to play rugby? You're a Christian, you just so happen to like running. You're a Christian, you just so happen to ball out. What's your identity? The first evidence, the first clue that we see that the gospel is transforming someone is that their identity is in Christ. Their identity is in Christ. There's another piece of evidence. Let's keep going here because we got a lot to get to. First piece of evidence, identity. Second piece of evidence, he says, I hear of your love. Everybody say love. <laughs> that was a very high school response. Love, right? You get into high school and you're like, love. And by the time you're a senior, you're like, love. <laughs> All right? Am I right? I'm kind of right though, right? You're laughing because it's right. The way the world talks about love, like, like, can we be real for a moment, friends? Can we pull down the facade? When the world uses the word love, we really could just replace it with selfishness. Most of the time, when people in our society are talking about love, what they really have in mind is this selfish concern that says, hey, I love you, meaning I'm really thankful because you don't make me lonely. I love you, meaning... I really just like you around because I feel better about myself. And a lot of what we call love is simply using other people for our benefit. 
But that's not the love that's talked about here. Love in the Bible, Christian love, is the willful inconveniencing of yourself to serve someone else. Christian love is always working for someone else, regardless of how it makes me feel. And we could talk about a lot about love or selfishness, right? Because in the name of love, a lot of people have gotten in other people's lives that they probably shouldn't have been in. But I love them. How can I stay out of their life? It's best for them for you to stay out of their life. So if you truly love them, do what's best for them, not for yourself. And let's call your love for what it really is. It's selfishness. Get out of their life. Stay away. Don't text them, right? This is not love. That, that's, not, that's selfishness. Love is willing to inconvenience yourself. Love is being willing to take a hit for someone else. And it's called Christian love because this is the kind of love that Christ has demonstrated. When you're watching the football game and you're watching college game day and they put up the sign, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is the kind of love. It is a love that lays down its life for someone else. And friends, students, whenever you see love in a person's life, This is a sure sign. This is a sure piece of evidence that God is at work in their lives. Do you see love working in the the lives of your friends here? Have you seen your friends become more loving since they followed Christ? I would hope, right? Because love is evidence of gospel transformation. But wait, there's more. Let's keep reading here, right? Look what else Philemon says. He says, Philemon, your identity is transformed. You have this kind of love and I also, I see the faith that you have. Everybody say faith. I see the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. All right, whenever the Bible uses the word faith, sometimes it's talking about like doctrine, like the faith, meaning the content of what you believe. Sometimes faith refers to like your personal trust in Christ. I have faith, right? And then other times, like in this text, it's referring to faithfulness, meaning I'm going to stick to this. I'm not going anywhere. And so when he says here that I see the faith that you have for Jesus and for the saints, he's saying, Philemon, you're in this. Is your faith convenient? Is your commitment, is your faithfulness to Christ and to his church, is it a matter of convenience? Is it something that you do on the weekends when you have nothing else going on? Is it the kind of thing that you're all about it when it's fun and singing songs, but as soon as there's conflict with other people in this room, as soon as there's drama, as soon as it gets hard, you go, whoa, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out. That would be a lack of faithfulness. But what we see in Philemon's life is a commitment. There's a stability to his faith. And so even when things are hard, even when times are tough, even when people are being persecuted for following Jesus, there's a rootedness, right? He's faithful. And friends, when you see faithfulness in someone's life, that is evidence of gospel transformation. And then last but not least, the fourth and final piece of evidence that we see here, he says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The final piece of evidence we see here is ministry. You've been given gifts. Raise your hand if you have gifts. Raise your hand if you breathe. Keep your hand up when I say the next statement. You have gifts. 
You have gifts, okay? Like, I got a few for Christmas. No, I mean, when God made you, he has given you talents. He has put something in your hand that when you contribute, when you use it, everybody else around you will be better off. Everybody else in the church will be encouraged. Their faith will grow. They will be blessed by your ministry. So ministry is not just something you prepare for at a Bible college and become a professional pastor. We're all in ministry. The saints of the, the, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Philemon, like if you were to like be friends with him, not like Facebook friends, like if you were actually like cool with Philemon and you kicked it on the weekends, you would realize he's the kind of guy that when you hang out with him, it's almost like you get to take a break from the difficulty of life, you know? He's the kind of guy that when you're with, there's just like this perspective that is refreshing. There's just something about hanging out with Philemon that all of the difficulty and all of the toil, when you're with him, it just refreshes you and you take a break from it all. Isn't that a nice compliment? Like if if somebody were to say to you, oh, my heart as a saint is refreshed by you. Sounds like something you put on a cheap Valentine's Day card, right? All the guys were like, refreshed. (laughs) Delete the text. It's actually more than a compliment. What he's saying here is not a compliment for Philemon. He's saying, I see evidence of gospel transformation. You know what this evidence is like? If you would have known me five years ago, you would have known me as a bachelor, okay? I put a ring on it five, a little over five years ago, like five and a half now, actually. That's wild. I'm old. Wow. Moment of silence. Yeah. So five and a half years ago, I got married, okay? And if you would have known me, did I know anybody here pre-marriage? I knew Isaac, Lila, Tyler. I didn't know you. Josie, maybe. You guys are all lying. You didn't know me, right? So when I, before I was married, if, you, if we were hanging out and if you were to come to my house, you would have been concerned. I'm going to put it nicely. If you were to come to my house, you'd probably walk up to the front door and right off the bat, just by looking at the door, you'd go... Something's not right here. (laughs) It's like, this looks like a door from America's Most Wanted. I don't want to go in here. And so you open the door, and there's a mountain of shoes, like, in the hallway, you know? I'm like, why would I put them anywhere else? That's why I go out the door. (laughs) You go in, and, like, there's nothing on the curtains. They're just bare. And I'm like, because I like the sunlight. (laughs) Nothing on the curtains. There's, like, like, you know, there's Panda Express boxes all over the counter. Brock, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I still have the panda boxes, right? Panda Express boxes everywhere. My bathroom is like DEFCON 3 all the time because ain't nobody got time to clean the bathroom, right? You go into my bathroom, there's like a gorgeous of underwear. I mean, just when, when it gets big enough or when I run out, I just throw it in the hamper. I mean, I throw it in the laundry room. It's that easy. Why make a middleman? Eliminate the middleman, right? My house was a disaster. And then one day, everybody say one day, right? All my fellows are like, one day. One day I got married. And if you were to come to my house after I got married, (laughs) very different experience. You walk up to the front door and instead of an episode of like FBI's America's Most Wanted here or cops, there's like a wreath on my door now. And you go, smells like flowers. I don't trust it, you know? You open the door, and there's no, there's no pile of shoes. They're like tucked away in a closet somewhere. 
you come in and there's these nice curtains hanging all over the window and there's like, there's not Panda Express boxes, there's like cookies for everyone on my counter. You go into the bathroom, right? And there's little scentsies and essential oils. And I'm like, do I dip the, what, we, what is this? And she's like, don't eat it. I'm like, but they look so good. There's air freshener and, and scented candles. And I go upstairs and there's this thing called a hamper. And she's putting chairs in the bedroom talking about things like feng shui. If you were to come to my house after I was married, you would say to yourself, somebody has moved in. There is evidence that there is a new person living in this house and their presence is being felt. Their fingerprints are all over my house. And when you look at it, you go, Sam, I know you. This ain't you. <laughs> you look at the scented warm vanilla sugar candles and the essential oils and you go, Sam, I know you. This ain't you. Somebody moved in. And there's evidence everywhere. Friends, in the same way, when God saves a person and the Holy Spirit moves into their life, you look around and you go, whoa, somebody has moved in here. There is evidence in this person's life that another person has moved in and their presence is being felt. And you start hanging out with them and you go, whoa, Lily, I know you. And this ain't you. You go, Kennedy, I know you. This ain't you. Somebody has moved in. And you know what it is? It is evidence. Everything you're seeing, yes, you're right, it's not me. It is evidence that Jesus has moved in and he's transformed everything. Finally, man, first things first. I see God at work in you. I see his evidence all over your life. What if we were a community that focused more on the evidence that we see in each other's lives? You feel me? What if we were a community that we trained ourselves and we practiced looking for evidence, looking for the fingerprints of God's spirit on your friends' lives? I guarantee you we'll be a lot less petty. I guarantee you we won't have time to be dramatic. I guarantee you we won't have time to focus on the negative because we're constantly looking for the evidence of God's work in each other's lives. And you know what that does to you when somebody comes into your life and they say, hey, Layla, I just want to encourage you. I see evidence of God's work in your life. You know what that does for you? I'll tell you what it does for me. It encourages me because nobody knows my sin better than me. Nobody is aware of how short I fall. Nobody is aware of how much wrong I do. Nobody is aware, more aware than me of how far I have yet to go. And so citizens, I need you. I need you, not just to give me compliments. No, no, glorify God in my life by showing me evidence of where God's at work. I need you to come and say, Sam, I know you. <laughs> and this ain't you. Glory to God. Everybody say evidence. So first things first, he says, Philemon, I see evidence of God's work in your life. And now here's my last point, Philemon. I see it transforming your life, but now I pray that not only would God transform you as an individual, I'm praying that you would experience transformation in your entire community. And so he says, he ends his, his first part here with a prayer 
for gospel community. Check it out. Let's look at the final verse here. Ready? Verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Everybody say effective. For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul, he begins here, he's praying. He says, you're transformed. I want to pray that your entire community would be transformed. And so he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith would be effective. What does sharing of your faith mean? What do you guys think? Let's do some interaction in the room. Let's do some interaction, engaging the room. What does it mean to share the sharing of your faith? Talk to me, call it out. The way you act? Okay. Nice. I like it. Others. What does it mean? Sharing your faith. What do you think of? Sharing your faith. Raise your hand if you don't know. Oh, look at all my shy people. That's okay. I'll tell you. High five. A lot of time, here's what I think. When I think of sharing of your faith, what I'm usually thinking about is proclaiming the gospel. These are the pictures I had in my head as a young teen. I think I've shared this with you. That, man, I feel so guilty because if I was really sharing my faith, I'd jump up on the cafeteria tables and preach the gospel. I literally used to have like visions of me standing up in the front of my bus going, hear ye, hear ye. And like literally taking the whole bus hostage for our 20-minute bus drive. (laughs) And then I would feel guilty because I wasn't doing that. Am I the only one? Y'all are mean. I know I'm not the only one, but you're making me feel like it, right? But when Philemon, and and there's like, don't get me wrong, it's important to proclaim the gospel. Jesus calls you as a Christian to tell other people the gospel. True. That's not what he's talking about here. When Paul says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, he's not talking about proclamation. He's not talking about evangelism. He uses a word here that we all need to know. And I'm not a language arts teacher. I don't teach foreign languages, but this word is so important you need to know it. I want everybody to say, Koinonia. Koinonia. It's not Japanese. I don't know why I say it that way, but it helps me like enunciate better. Because I'm like, koinonia. Koinonia. Say it. Koinonia. Isn't that a nice word? Yeah, pronounce it. Isn't that like, I say that when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. Koinonia. This is what koinonia means. Let me illustrate, okay? He's praying. He's praying for gospel community in their lives. And so I need, where's my high schoolers at? Come on, I I drew on your face. Come be a part of my meal. That's the least I can do. Hannah, you wanna come? I need two more, two more. Alex, come on, buddy, I just met you. Come on, JJ, let's go, let's, right? I'm gonna talk to you. Sharing of your faith, koinonia, this is what koinonia is. Koinonia, come around, look, we got popcorn. Dude, this is real popcorn too. Oh, snap, it's kettle corn. (laughs) That's always my favorite surprise. Take it away. I'm going to eat all of it. Take it away. Right? So koinonia, what it means, it's like a meal here. When he's talking about sharing of your faith, eat. I need you to eat. It's part of the illustration. Eat more. Right? But the, who eats popcorn with a spoon, bro? He's all classy over here. I'm like, dude. I want you to bring a spoon into the movie theater next time you go, right? <laughs> One of those like big gulp spoons. Can you imagine? Just like a shovel, plastic shovel. And so right now we're sharing, we are partaking in a meal, right? We're partaking in a meal, we're eating it together. This is a common experience. That's koinonia. (laughs) Koinonia, stick with me, right? 
You can eat together. Eat. You got a plate. You got your own. Koinonia, it's this sharing. It's this mutual partaking of the faith. Friends, when you decided to live for Jesus, it wasn't like getting a TV dinner. It wasn't like sitting on the couch with a little microwave popcorn, you know, thing, and you're just watching television. It's not a, a, a microwave TV dinner. It's a meal that you're partaking together. Living out our faith, living out our Christianity is a shared common experience. And so when my homeboy Alex is rejoicing, we're rejoicing. Yeah, right? When Anna's mourning, we're mourning. When we're happy, we're happy for each other. When Hannah's in need, we have and we give to each other. What's hers is mine, what's mine is hers. We're sharing in the faith. This is Christianity. That's what it's supposed to be. And so Paul prays this, listen to me. He says, I'm praying that the way that you are sharing in your faith, I'm praying that the way that you are partaking in your common faith, I am praying that you do so in such a way that it will be a visual aid. I'm praying that the sharing and the partaking of your faith would be lived out in such a way that it would effectively communicate to the watching world all of the good things that we have in Jesus. Do you get it? I pray that the sharing of your faith would be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. So what he's saying is, I pray that your table, dude, you guys are going to town. That's what's up, baby. I knew I got the right people. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith would be marked by reconciliation so that the rest of the world would go, oh, there's reconciliation in Jesus. I pray that the way that you guys are sharing and partaking in the faith would be marked by forgiveness so that the rest of the world would be able to look and they go, oh, I now have an effective picture. There's forgiveness in Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith would be marked by love and grace and humility so that other people can have an effective visual aid of all the good things that we have in Christ. That's gospel community. That's koinonia. Friends, church is more than your buddies. Church is about more than going to a club. Church is more than an extracurricular activity. Church is the sharing of our common faith. And when we do it in a way that reflects the gospel themes in our lives, it is effectively giving other people full knowledge of all the good that is in Christ. Go back one week. Where's Peyton? You hear Peyton? Hey, girl. Peyton stands up here last week, right? <laughs> she stands up here last week and she said, I thought all Christians were judgmental. I thought being a Christian was a negative label. I thought being a Christian meant that you were closed-minded and hateful. But guys, I'm so proud of you. You know why I'm proud of you, citizens? Because the sharing of your faith, the way that you guys lived out and partook in your common faith was an effective visual aid so that Peyton, when she saw the way that you guys lived, she goes, oh, I now have a good picture, an effective picture of what's in Christ. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, redemption, love. I'm proud of you guys. Be encouraged. 
the sharing of your faith, you guys up here, the sharing of your faith, the way that Citizens Youth, the way that Northwest Gospel Church is sharing in the faith, it is an effective visual aid so that other people can go, oh, I get it. That's what we have in Christ. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Take the popcorn, Anna, because I'll eat the whole thing. Thank you. One more, one more for the road. For the road. Thank you, guys. Do you get it? Do you get it? He says, Philemon, first things first. First things first. <laughs> we got, I see the man that you're looking at. The man who gave you this letter, call a timeout on him because I want you to see evidence. I see evidence in your life. And I'm also praying that there would continue to be transformation in your life. In other words, Philemon, I want to encourage you that God is at work in you. God is at work in you. Be encouraged. Students, is God at work in your life? Do you know that? How often do you take time and reflect? How often, when was the last time you told your friend, your brother or sister in Christ, the evidence that you saw in their life? I challenge you, this week, maybe in the next 24 hours, Write a letter, send an email, do a te- whatever it is, right? Tell your brother in Christ, tell somebody, tell somebody from your cabin about how you see God at work in their lives. Encourage them. I want you to do that, okay? And as the band comes up, what we're gonna do, we're gonna do this one. And as the band comes up here, we're gonna do some family chaos, okay? And what I'm gonna have you do is, I'm gonna have you find your cabin mates, I'm gonna have you find people from your cabin. If you didn't go to camp, just pretend, right? Just be like, I was in your cabin, remember? <laughs> just make up something, right? Remember, you farted? Oh yeah, yeah, you were there. <laughs> Trust me, they won't know. So you get in their cabin, right? And here's how I want us to pray tonight. Get in circles, whatever it is. And I want you to just pray. And I'm, I don't, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to say, Lord, help us to be a gospel community. Lord, help the stories like Payton's and and Hannah's and all the other people getting baptized. Lord, help those multiply. Lord, use citizens' youth as a visual aid so that as we are sharing in our faith, it would be an effective visual aid so that, Lord, every student from Union and Camus and Mountain View and Evergreen and Frontier Middle School and Cascade and Chehala, let our community be an effective visual aid so that other people will go, oh, those are the good things we have in Christ. Oh, that's the beauty of the gospel. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to find some people from your camp camp cabin. And I want you to pray that way.